you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We continue our series in Romans 8. Last week, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in us that enables us to fight in our lives. And this morning, we're going to continue looking at as this unfolds and see more work of the Spirit. This time, as the Holy Spirit testifies to us about the reality of our adoption in Christ. So you can turn there to Romans 8, that is page 944 on the Bibles that are in the chairs before you. So let's read it and let's see what God has for us this morning as we come to this word together. Romans 8, beginning at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let us pray together. Father, we are so thankful that we can call you Father. And that you have brought us into your family. And that you have given us your Holy Spirit. And that you sent your son Jesus to come and to rescue us from our sin. And that you have given your word to us this morning. So we ask that you would speak to us that you would remind us of who we are in you, and that you would refresh us and renew us by the work of your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, just for a little bit, we all get to be children. Does that sound okay? Think for a moment. Adults, you can go back in time. Some of you may have to go back further than others. But go back in time to the time when you were a child, when you were... Maybe playing on the playground or running around in the neighborhood. Maybe buying an ice cream cone from an ice cream truck. Or maybe your parents were buying an ice cream cone from an ice cream truck. Maybe a favorite family vacation memory. Maybe lately you've been weighed down by things in your life. You've been burdened by what's happening around the world. And there's a time and place to talk about those things. But for a moment this morning, we get to be children. We have this reminder before us in the passage that before all the other titles that we may claim in this life, that there is a title that is given to us here in Romans 8 and elsewhere in the scripture. And that title is that we are children of God. This passage that we have read gives us a wonderful reminder that we have been adopted by our Heavenly Father and that if we are in Christ, if we have claimed Him by faith, then we have this wonderful status that's bestowed upon us that we are called a child of God. There are a lot of wonderful benefits that we'll talk about that come with that, and we'll discuss those in the sermon today. And for much of the sermon, it'll be helpful to think of those happy memories back when you were a child and remember what it's like to be a kid again. But as we talk about this, we also need to pause for a moment and acknowledge that this passage is going to launch us into a category that might be difficult for some of us. And that's the category of family. 
of God as our Father, of brothers and sisters, of sons and daughters. In one sense, there's immediate common ground because, hey, everyone here has an earthly father and mother. Many of us have brothers and sisters. And for some of us, this is easy. It's easy to talk about God as our Father because we've got a good earthly father who's demonstrated a reasonable example that would help us to receive well the idea that God is our Father. But as we know, everyone's experience is different. Some have experienced the loss of a father or mother. Others have experienced pain from their fathers. Some parents have experienced separation from their children. So whenever we approach the Scriptures and we start talking about God being our Father and using a lot of family terminology, which is wonderful and good, it's also helpful to pause and to acknowledge a couple of things. One is that we acknowledge that this is a broken world. And in a broken world, there's a lot of family brokenness. And that the pain that, that you may carry or that someone you know carries is very real. We also want you to know this morning that the healing and comfort that's to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we'll see in this very passage is also very real, and it is for you. The other thing I think that we can maybe challenge ourselves a little bit with this morning is that we often use ourselves or our experience as the point of reference for understanding a concept or idea or any doctrine we find in Scripture. For example, we might use our own fathers as a point of reference for who God is. If our earthly fathers are good, we hear from Scripture that God is our Father, we say, hey, that's good. If our earthly fathers are not so good, and we hear from Scripture that God is our Father, we might hesitate to receive that as good news, or maybe even see it as bad news. So what do we do? One thing I think the Scripture challenges us to do and we see it here in the passage, because all the action in this passage is on behalf of God. It's what he's doing. And the scriptures challenge us to flip the reference point and to look at God first. Instead of looking and starting with ourselves and our experience, we look to him first, and he will reveal to us in his word and tell us what kind of father he is. And that will be good news to us. First John 3 invites us by saying it this way, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He will demonstrate what a father does for his children. And as he does, and as we begin to see it in the scriptures before us, I think a few things can happen. One is that if we've experienced that sort of pain in relationship to earthly fathers, that we can be comforted. We can be lifted up by the reminder that our heavenly father is different and that he loves us, and that he has adopted us into his family. Another thing that can happen is that we, as particularly fathers here this morning, as we reflect on this and we look at God as our father, we can be humbled and convicted because we will see how good he is, and we're reminded that we fall way short of that and that we need his grace. And then another thing that I think can happen this morning as we begin to, to look at these things is that a longing will develop in our hearts both now and, and forever for our Heavenly Father, for the very large family that He has brought us into, and for our eternal home. So wherever we may find ourselves this morning, 
this passage has good news for us. The main thing that we'll see overall is that God has given us many blessings and benefits and gifts as he has adopted us. And that this adoption is a marvelous act of God's grace. I don't know if you've gone there in your mind yet, but I think uh, the countdown is at 71. And that's 71 days till Christmas. Now, kids, I want you to listen to me this morning. Some people will tell you that you have to wait until Thanksgiving before you start thinking about Christmas and playing Christmas music. I'm here to declare to you that you can go ahead. You can start today if you want, because Pastor Russ is with you. Christmas all year round. But as we examine these verses, I want you to think for a minute about a Christmas tree and gifts under it. And we're going to unwrap a few gifts this morning, the gifts of adoption uh, that God has given us here in this passage and in his word. And the first gift we're going to unwrap is this, is that God has adopted us and given us a new status as his children. Look at verses 14 and 15. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Back at the beginning of Romans chapter 8, we were told that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if we have trusted Christ by faith, we are united to him. We are in Christ Jesus. The verses that follow that talk about the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and leads us. Leading up to verse 14, that if we are in Christ, if we have trusted him by faith, then we are also led by the Spirit. And if we are led by the Spirit, we are children of God. It's important to note here that being led by the Spirit is not some kind of special elite category for super Christians over here, but it is the normal for every Christian who has claimed Christ, that we are led by the Spirit. We are indeed children of God. If we belong to Christ by faith, if we are in Christ, the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. That's what verse 9 talked about. The Spirit of God lives in us, and we are children of God. So what's good about the status of being children of God? Well, for starters, it beats what we were before. That's what Ephesians 2 talks about. It says that we were by nature children of wrath. Verse 15 here in our passage in Romans 8 calls our previous status one of being slaves to fear. Apart from God's gracious initiative to save us, we're dead in our sins. We're children of wrath. We're slaves to sin and to fear. But this morning we have good news. God has not left us as we were, but he has called us into his family. And he has done everything necessary to adopt us and to bring us in. And he has called us his children. So we're no longer what we were, but now we are children of God. In the Roman world, uh, adoption often occurred when a wealthy adult had no heir for his estate. And at the time of adoption, uh, lots of things would happen. Uh, old debts would be paid. Old debts would be paid. The adopted heir would receive a new name and have access to all that the father had. The father was also held accountable for the actions of the adopted heir. And the adopted heir now had a responsibility to honor his new adopted father. 
And as our Heavenly Father adopts us, we need to remember that it comes at a great personal cost to Him. Earlier in Romans 8, we read that God sent His own Son who came to live among us and to die for us, to pay off our old debts to sin, so that He might bring us into His family and make us His adopted heirs. It's a legal act where we're declared His children. This summer, um, Audrey and I took uh, foster care and adoption classes, and we're still in process with those things. Um, It's a long road. We've got to do our homework. But one thing we learned uh, about this was the intense legal process that's involved in an adoption case. And that ultimately, there's a judge that hears these cases. He hears from all the parties involved and ultimately has to make a legal declaration that will change the child's status and legally transfer the rights and responsibilities of parenting to the adoptive parents. And there's a weightiness to this when you picture the courtroom setting and the moment coming when declared by the judge, a child is officially adopted. Think about that for a second, what that must be like for the child. And then think about our adoption by God that there is a courtroom, legal, judicial aspect to it where we find ourselves being declared, not by anything we've done, but by His grace, being declared a child of the Heavenly Father. And that's something that cannot be taken away. Gift number two. So gift number one, we've been adopted by God and we've been given a new status as his children. Gift number two is that we're given access to call God our Father. Verse 15 again uh, reminds us of this as we look at the passage that we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. One of the biggest questions that we have to wrestle with in life is how we view God. Is he a cosmic share? Sheriff, he's kind of overlooking us and just waiting for us to mess up so he can pounce on us and punish us when we do wrong. Or maybe is he our butler in the sky? He's just waiting for us to tell him what to do so he can do our every whim and desire and do what we want. Or is he our heavenly father who loves us and provides for and even disciplines his children? In verse 15, we we see here that we're invited to call God Father. That the God of the universe who has made galaxies and mountains and oceans and sustains everything in the universe, He's done everything necessary to adopt us into His family. And He has actually called us to call Him Father. This morning we prayed the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that begins with addressing God as our Father. Jesus invited his disciples, and us as well, to address God the Father with the same intimacy that he does. That we get to talk to God in the same way our Savior did. Jesus himself used this phrase, he called out, Abba, Father, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was preparing to go to the cross. 
And now as God's children, we get to, to cry out. We get to use the words that Jesus used. Abba, Father, it confirms the closeness, the intimacy, the access that we have with God. That he's brought us into a loving relationship with himself. He's given us immediate and bold access to him in prayer. He's given us his Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So when we return to the question, how do we view God? Maybe really in, in order to answer that, we have to remember how he views us. That he loves us. That he calls us his children. That he has secured our adoption into his family. And that he has invited us to look upon him and to call him our father. Earlier we, uh, in the service we read from the catechism about what the Lord's Prayer teaches us, that we can draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father, able and ready to help us. This is the access we have that God has given to us through his adoption of us. So that's two gifts. Gifts number three is that we're now part of a family. And this is kind of the implied gift of the passage. Uh, it's something that we see in Scripture all the time, the concept that not only is God our Father, but that because of that, that makes us all brothers and sisters, right? Everybody can hug their neighbor right now. You know, we're brothers and sisters. This is good. This is good news. But we've been brought into a very large family. It's a family that spans generations and races and nations, and languages. It's a worldwide, global phenomenon, the family of God. It's one of the great privileges and gifts of God adopting us, that he brings us together as his church. And while this passage emphasizes our relationship with God as Father, it's certainly implied here and made explicit elsewhere all over the scriptures, that being a child of God is not to be a lonely experience for the Christian that we're to walk together with God, we're to pray with and for one another, we're to encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to serve one another, practice hospitality, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, and a host of other things that we're called to do in the Scriptures. This all sounds nice and simple when we think of these instructions God has given us, but we know it's not as easy as it sounds. Sometimes families have disagreements. Sometimes families go through suffering and trials. Sometimes families can just flat out be messy. There's a reason why you can read through the various letters to churches in the New Testament and see constant reminders again and again and again to love one another, to forgive one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another. These reminders are there because it is not easy. We are prone to forget. We are prone to be self-consumed. So we need to be reminded this morning, not only of our status before God as his children, but of our relationship to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are part of his family together. We need this reminder here at Cornerstone, locally. Yet we also need it in a broader sense as we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world to enjoy the gifts and the benefits of adoption, the privileges of being God's children. We're called to participate 
in God's family, to engage locally here, and to connect also to what God is doing throughout the body of Christ all over the world by praying, by giving, by serving, by lifting others up, and to do so in a way that proclaims to a world that's full of cynicism and that's full of broken relationships. that we can say, hey, why don't you come meet my family? First, let me introduce you to my father. And then let me tell you about my oldest brother, Jesus, and what he did for us, and how he brought us all together and what he's doing in our midst. So, so far, we've, we've opened three gifts, haven't we? That we've been adopted into God's family. We've been given a new status as his children. That we've been given access to call God Father. That we've been brought into a, a wonderful, large, big, worldwide family called the church. And gift number four is this, is that we've been given great assurance by the Holy Spirit about the permanency of our adoption. The gifts that we receive from adoption are not just external things. They also involve internal matters of the heart as we're given great assurance and security here. Verse 15 has already told us we've been set free from the spirit of slavery, from falling back into fear. And now we look at verse 16. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the contrasts that's given to us in the scripture is that of fear versus confidence. And that's what we have here, that we've not received a, slaver, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But instead, we have the spirit of adoption, that we can draw near to God, our Father, with confidence. That we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifying to us that we are indeed the children of God because of what Christ has done for us. There are so many things that we fear, and often our sins feed off of that, those fears. And as we examine kind of this um, doctrine of adoption and what God has done and brought, bring us into his family, we're called to examine our fears a little bit so we don't slip back into them. Maybe we fear the disapproval of other people. Maybe we have been disapproved of by others. Here we can rest in the assurance that we have the approval of the God of the universe, that our Father has declared that we belong to him, that we are his children, and this is something that will not change. Maybe there have been times when we feared that God might leave us or that we might have done something that put us outside of the reach of his grace. Yet we're reminded later in Romans 8 and also here that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that his spirit bears witness to us that we are the children of God. We already quoted it earlier, but let's do it again. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we can be called the children of God. And that is what we are. John Murray, a theologian, he says in reflecting on this that it is specifically the Father's act of grace. The Apostle John cannot get over it, and he never will. Eternity will not exhaust its marvel. Friends, his love will not let us go. He will not leave us or forsake us. Rather than live in fear, we're to live in great confidence and assurance because of the security of our salvation and our standing as God's children. It cannot be revoked. Our final gift this morning quickly is this. All the things that we've talked about so far are present realities, but this one's a future one. 
And that's, we've been given a glorious inheritance. And we're invited here as we look at the last verse, verse 17. We're reminded that if we are children of God, then we are also heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, of the glorious inheritance that God has for us when we are glorified with Christ. When we think of receiving an inheritance as a family, we often think of money or maybe a special item that's been passed down through generations or maybe some furniture or things of that nature. And the whole idea is that because someone has died, they have passed on an inheritance and they have given these gifts to us so that we can remember them, we can carry on their legacy. But as we close this morning, there's, there's a difference here when we think about an inheritance and what we receive from God. And the biggest difference is that we're looking ahead to an inheritance that we will receive when we die, that was secured for us when Christ died for us. But we're receiving this inheritance from someone who is alive and well, and that is our great God. He is alive and always will be. And yet he invites us to receive his glorious inheritance. He gives it to his children, and he tells us to come, to live in in his presence, both now and forevermore. This is good news. Let's give thanks to God together. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the work of Christ, on our behalf, for the Spirit who dwells within us, testifying to us that we are your children, for your gracious adopting love of us. We thank you that you have called us together to be your family. And we ask, uh, Lord, that you would uh, confirm these truths deep within us, that you would encourage us, uh, that you would uh, challenge us, that you would remind us of your amazing grace to us and that you would help us to arise and to sing of all that you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.